down to Y Food, the edge facing back right on. The only podcast taking you under the helmet. Expert analysis breaking down the quarterback play in the NFL each weekend. Don't that feel good when your crowd behind you? Let's give them something to cheer for now. This is Inside the Pocket with your host, Greg McElroy. Welcome in. It is Inside the Pocket. I'm your host, Greg McElroy. It is week one. We got it in the books. We got so many great quarterback performances. Going to break them down extensively here for the next few minutes on Inside the Pocket. It's our first show. It's our first official show. And we are so thrilled to have Danny Cannell of ESPNU Radio, of CBS Sports, of so many different things. He's going to be joining us here in a little bit. We will do a comprehensive breakdown of Tom Brady in his Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut. A lot of people rolling their eyes. A lot of people feeling like, oh, no, bad news for the Bucs. I'll tell you why. I don't think that's necessarily the case upon further evaluation. So, so much to get to, but we have to start, and I'd be remiss if we didn't start by crowning a king of the week. King of the week. How can it be anyone other than Russell Wilson? Now, I don't get me wrong. We're going to go through it. We're going to talk about all the different performances. We'll give guys some grades. Thumbs up, thumbs down. We'll dive in. But Russell Wilson, in a game against, albeit, a rather unspectacular defense for Atlanta. Completed nearly 90% of his passes with four touchdowns and 322 passing yards. But if you go a little deeper, the guy barely missed any throws at all. I mean, was so dialed in, was so accurate. I mean, every one of his touchdowns, if we just go through and document the touchdowns beyond anything else, I mean... He makes it look easy. I mean, doesn't he? I mean, he legitimately makes it look easy. The throw that he made to DK Metcalf down the left sideline, it's fourth down. All right. Fourth down. You're at Atlanta's 38-yard line. You recognize it. You see one-on-one coverage with DK Metcalf. Straight vertical. Your biggest, strongest wide receiver. Worst case scenario, you underthrow it. He goes up, makes a jump ball catch. Maybe you get a PI. Doesn't matter. No, he, he didn't do any of those things. Fourth and five, DK Metcalf got a beautiful release and he threw it right down the red line, four yards removed from the sideline. DK Metcalf didn't even break stride. He had no choice but to catch the football. And that was one of about seven or eight exceptionally good throws for Russell Wilson on, on Sunday. I mean, the guy was just in another league. I mean, really, I thought it was the performance of the weekend. Now, not to be outdone, Lamar Jackson was pretty dang spectacular as well. Now, we heard all the rumblings, right? We heard all the rumble. He's going to operate more from within the pocket. We're going to see more more traditional drop-back passing attack from Lamar Jackson. Yeah, all, all that stuff's great. But let's not change who Lamar Jackson is. The guy's an exceptionally gifted runner. Exceptionally gifted. Maybe the most dynamic runner at the quarterback position we've ever seen. I know Michael Vick, Cam Newton, I get all that. Understand it. But just as far as in the open field, can go 80 yards in an instant with the ball in his hands. We don't see that guy very often. But look out because Lamar Jackson threw the ball probably as well as he's thrown it in quite some time. Now, 
his off-target percentage, his off-target percentage was still 12.5%, which is not outrageously high, but it's not where you'd like it. For instance, Russell Wilson, his off-target percentage was under 3%, meaning he literally missed one throw. One throw that was off-target. Lamar had four. And I charted four. Some might chart three. Let's call it three and a half. Doesn't really matter. All things considered, the guy was exceptionally good. And what I'm most encouraged by with Lamar Jackson, when you watch him deliver the football in college, early in his NFL career, line drives, line drives. The guy had a cannon. So he'd throw a flat football. He could squeeze it between defenders. Still can, by the way. Nothing's changed. But I saw on Sunday him being able to negotiate defenders with the trajectory of the football like I haven't seen him do. Not at least consistently do. And he did it not just once, not just twice. I counted six different times in which he negotiated the defender with where he placed the football. With trajectory or with where he located on the receiver's body. That's remarkable. Because that's not the Lamar. For as good as he was last year, he did not do that on a consistent basis. Changing trajectory, adjusting his touch. Touch, big part for Lamar Jackson's growth and development. Man, I'm telling you, I was really excited. Really excited about what I saw from him. Now he got hit nine times. You know, whether it be in the run game or... Uh, in the past game, uh, his quarterback contact percentage was nearly 27%. That was the most in the league, with the exception of Cam Newton. So I don't want to see those hits. You know, I don't want to see those, but you know, I, I can live with it because I thought he was very decisive with the football. Let's go next to Aaron Rodgers. Did did I did did anyone forget that this guy is an absolute freak with the ball in his hands? Like, did everyone forget this? Oh, they drafted Jordan Love. He's the heir apparent. Yeah, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers still might be the most talented quarterback of all time. Okay, I know Mahomes is in that conversation. But if we're talking about just sheer talent, arm talent, Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are about as good as it gets. Well, Rodgers reminded you of that on Sunday. He scorched. Scorched. What is a relatively respected Vikings defense, completing nearly 73%, four touchdowns. He didn't miss very many throws at all. I had him charted. I had him missing four throws on the day. Pretty good. (laughs) I'd say four throws out of 44. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good percentage. Uh, He got hit. Hit! And we know Aaron Rodgers taking some hits in the past. He got hit on a whopping 2% of his plays. And they tried to blitz him. They brought 14 pressures, which didn't pace the league, but was in the upper tier of the league. I mean, compared to how many pressures Daniel Jones saw, it wasn't that many. Daniel Jones had 29 pressures just on Monday night. But Aaron saw 14, pretty significant. Had an answer for all of them. And I, I just thought he, he was exceptionally good. And if you really look at it, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think the, res- the receivers, that a lot of people have made a big deal about the weapons 
Oh, well, he has no weapons. You know, they didn't draft anyone in the first round to help him out. His weapons aren't bad. Devontae Adams is a pretty dang solid and reliable wide receiver. Now, I'm not real thrilled about Marquez Valdez-Scantling being my number two. And Alan Lazard's a big body, but it's Aaron Rodgers. And the way he was placing the football down the field, and we talked about this over the last few months. He said, I went back, I watched tape of myself in the 2010 and 11 season, the postseason run more specifically, the Super Bowl run. And if you watch Aaron the last couple of years, he threw it off his back foot an awful lot. I noticed on Sunday, he was stepping into his throws a little bit more consistently. Now, does, does that mean he's going to you know, all of a sudden start throwing absolute laser seeds like 28-year-old Aaron Rodgers used to do on a regular basis? No, I don't know if that's the case because he still has so much savvy and can turn the ball over. And the way he kind of keeps the weight in his back foot and yet still allows his arm to release through it, he still has plenty on the football. But I did see him step up with a little bit more consistency than he's done in quite some time. You know, it's like we act like last year, like Rodgers had a bad year. He was 26 and four, touchdown interception. And his passer rating was nearly, you know, mid 90s. Was it his best stuff? By no means. By no means. But he is number two right now in the National Football League in QBR behind Lamar Jackson, who, of course, can do it not just with his arm, but with his legs. Number two. Rounding out your top five in QBR, Lamar Jackson's one, Aaron Rodgers, two, Pat Mahomes is three, Russell Wilson is four. I don't think anyone's surprised by the top four. I mean, if you are, then let's have a chat because the top four are pretty dang obvious, uh, pretty much interchangeable, at least the last couple of years. Number five might surprise you. Second year player. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Now, you'll hear me say this here, and I'll say it in other places, but I really stand by this. Lamar Jackson scares me to death if I'm a defensive coordinator. Pat Mahomes scares me to death if I'm a defensive coordinator. It's just I can't account for what they can do. I just can't. I can't prepare for it. Can't simulate it. But Kyler Murray might be getting very close to joining that trifecta as far as just being very concerned about the stresses he can put on my defense. And I thought he threw the ball really well. They featured Hopkins. Hopkins had 16 targets, 14 receptions, 150 through the air. I thought Kyler was very accurate when targeting DeAndre Hopkins. And they weren't always gimmies either. Fewer downfield driving the football. But it's his running ability, man. And the fact that I think he got tackled one time. You know, we worry about Kyler Murray. Can he sustain it? He's not very big. Will he be able to handle it? Like That's always been the question. That's been my knock on Kyler Murray. Can he stay healthy? The guy is 190 pounds and he might be 5'10". Can he stay healthy? The guy got hit one time. I'm feeling better about him every single week. And I'm so enjoying watching him develop and grow. And I think the best is, is in front of him. I really do. I think the best is in front of them. Still so much more to get to, including a full breakdown of Tom Brady, 
in his first start as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. If you listen to the media, everyone's going to tell you, oh, no, look out. Tom's in trouble. I'll tell you why he's not a little later in the show. It's Inside the Pocket with Greg McElroy. It's the Inside the Pocket podcast, your exclusive home for quarterback discussion. I don't even know if it's the exclusive home, but we're going to make it the exclusive home for deep inside the quarterback's mind. And for that, uh, we bring in my dear friend from ESPNU Radio, from CBS Sports, from all over the place. We wear so many different hats. He's Danny Cannell, uh, former NFL quarterback. I might as well throw your playing accolades out there, DK. Like, I mean, you were a great player as well. Now you're a great broadcaster, but the player is where you got your start. I just keep it under wraps. I don't want anybody to Google the stats or anything. The stat line well, is exactly impressive. You're not impressive. a stat guy. You're not a stat <laughs> no. guy. You're a results guy. I was guy. a locker room guy. I was a locker room guy. I was a quarterback room guy. I was good for the quarterback room. That's what you I was did, good you're for. A morale, you're a morale bandit. Like, that's what it yep. is. Like, you're just on the, you're on the prowl for morale. That's what we used yep. to always say. Like, if you can't play, you better be on the prowl for morale. Absolutely. That was me. Like, I think I won nicest guy award in like 2012. Like that was like you know that was the that was the extent of my NFL accolades. I don't get I don't get jealous of very many guys that are in the NFL. Like I'm like, hey, they're better than me. They did they worked harder. They deserved it. Chase Daniels, a guy who has made a lot of money being the morale guy, and I don't I think right. I would even say that to his face. Like, good for you for making that much money for just being a good dude. Like, because by all, and he's played some, but I think he's made somewhere in the like 140 thousand per pass attempt. It's something absurd because he hasn't played very much. But good for him for being able to be the morale guy. Well, he, uh, I said, I backed him up in high school. Like that one, even that, like I couldn't be happier for him and yet more jealous of him. Like at the right. same time, like I'm, I'm, I love it. Uh, and I, he, by the way, he's like doing broadcasting on top of it all. So you got to come Chase. take both of our jobs when it's when he's retired. <laughs> well, because he might just buy Sirius XM, like all yes. in and of itself. Like he might just go ahead and just buy the entire company, given how much money he's made. Uh, or at least a, a, a substantial portion on the, on the New York stock exchange. Look so much to get to Danny. Um, just talking quarterbacks here, man. I got to first, before I get to anything else, I got to ask you because I'm going to break it down extensively here in just a minute, but I just initial reaction of Tom Brady's debut performance in Tampa Bay. I will say this expected. Yeah. Um, I think the bucks are going to be fine. I, I never, I never thought they would win the division. I think New Orleans has that uh, that division on lock and it's showcased. I mean, they look like clearly they were head and shoulders above. Um, but I think it takes time. Like, and they did not have a normal offseason. They had a, you know, it was a different type of offseason. I mean, it's, shoot, it's getting take, it's getting weird just looking at him in a Bucks uniform. Like that looks yeah, weird. Right. Um, you know, you look at the interception of Mike Evans, miscommunication on a route, you know, it, it it's it's that stuff happens. He doesn't have his favorite receiver, Julian Edelman, running a route they can run, you know, right. without even looking at each other in the eyes. Um, he'll be okay. They'll be okay. I thought it would be an ugly start for them. I didn't think they would win that game. Of course, um, they've got to get better offensive line play because right. if if their tackle struggles as much as he did all year, it's going to be a long year. They've got to get that fixed uh fixed, but Overall, like I, I wasn't expecting fireworks. I was actually, that was pretty much what I expected. Right. Actually, I like looking back at it, I'm going to go, I'm going to detail in a little bit. So, so stick with us here on Inside the Pocket. I, 
I honestly, I didn't think it was that bad. I'll explain right. why a, a little bit later. It really was not as bad as you might have initially thought. I, there are very few people that we're going to have on this show over the next 18, 20 weeks, however long we go uh, deep into the postseason, that will have as good of an understanding of the college quarterback than you. Like You will be as dialed in as anybody. So I want to ask you not just about the one rookie that started on Sunday, but a few of the second-year guys. Are you good with this? Let's do it. I love it. All right, I love it. Let's start with let's start with Joe Burrow. And I didn't. Th- everyone was raving about his performance, Danny. I, I didn't think it was that great. I thought he was okay. Uh, I didn't think. I thought he he did energize the team. I thought he gave him a chance to win. Um, I thought he moved in the pocket quite well. Had the rushing touchdown. Obviously, they had the push off on AG Green that everyone's been talking about. It was a nice nice throw. Um, but I didn't think it was like some spectacular week one performance. But then again, if it was, I'd probably be freaking out like this guy's not human. So I, what was your what was your gauge on, on Joe after after week one's performance? So with rookie quarterbacks, especially rookies, even second years, but at some point you've got to get comfortable. But I want to see, especially in a first start, how do you look? Like, do you and just and this is where I actually like to watch the TV copy more so than the all 22 or the coaches film, because I want to see your presence. I want to see, are you overwhelmed? Are you comfortable in the moment? Are you um, nervous? Are you antsy? And I thought what you got was the cool Joe Burrow that you had at LSU. So I thought that was like the first thing I noticed is he's not overwhelmed by the moment. I absolutely thought there were some rookie mistakes that he made that you would not have seen last year at LSU that you won't see throughout his career but they're part of the process of becoming a better quarterback. I like you, it was funny because I'm watching the game and they're saying he's a better athlete than you think. I'm like, well, then you probably didn't watch that much of LSU because I know he's a white guy and maybe it doesn't look like he's Lamar Jackson clearly, but he can run around a little bit. And it's not even so much the running touchdown, the rushing touchdown where he just, you know, all of a sudden the, the, it opened up the red sea parted and he's just walking into the end zone, massive uh, game for them. But it was about the pocket presence. I love his presence. Um, but clearly, he's still getting comfortable. I mean, if, if, if Tom Brady's struggling with his comfort level with a new system and he's been in the league for 20 years, of course it's going to be a struggle for Joe Burrow often. Like, if you graded the tape, I bet he graded it out like a C. You know, but if you would have listened to some of the people, they would have said, oh, A minus, B plus, you right. know, rookie out there. But I think if you actually graded him without knowing who he was and looking at the quarterback position, reads, uh, checkdowns, taking sacks, throwing it away, I think you'd probably get a C, which is right. okay for a first start in the NFL, by the way. Didn't bother me. I thought he was fine. But uh, I didn't want to, like, hang them. Oh, like, this guy is, uh, you know, no doubt rookie of the year. Like, I, I didn't walk away from it feeling that way. Like, the most impressive rookie through one week of work still is probably Clyde Edwards E. Lair to me. Like I, I thought his performance last Thursday was fantastic. So I thought Burrow was fine. He gave him a chance to win and should have gotten into overtime and at least had some extra time. But if he should have really won the game, I mean, I, I still thought it was OPI, but long story short, like I, I thought he did what you wanted from your quarterback. He still missed seven throws. So, I mean, I, I don't. Which is uncharacteristic of him. And I do right. think he'll those throws once he gets more comfort once he gets more familiarity with right. the system where it becomes second nature and you know when you're when you're in a system and you're just learning it you have to think a lot and you have to think about what you have to do and okay 
on this play as I'm walking to the line of scrimmage. All right, where's my hot? All right, I know where I'm hot. Now, what are the safeties doing? What coverage am I going to get? And then you have to process, all right, well, this is where I have to go to the ball. And here's my first guy. Here's my second. And here's my third. Here's my outlet. And you're having to think. And I'm talking it out slowly because I think that's what it means when you say the game slows down as the longer you play. Yeah. He's still in the slower processing stage because he has to think. At a point, hopefully sooner rather than later, but I don't even think it comes in your rookie year, no matter how good you are, you won't have to think as much. You'll right. go up to the line, boom, Second there's my major. hot, there's yeah. the safeties, here's my outlet, bam, let's go. So I think he's still in that processing stage, which is completely normal. Yeah, I, I would argue, um, final stat line for him, by the way, 23 of 36, 64%, 193 through the pick, had the rushing touchdowns. I didn't think his arm looked as strong as I remember it in college. Now, the ball is slightly bigger in the NFL. I didn't feel like it had the same level of zip. Now, I could have been like seeing ghosts, full disclosure, but just looking at it. But then again, I mean, let's keep things in perspective, too. Like I'm what I'm flipping between the channels and, and going back. I'm watching Aaron Rodgers on one TV and right next to it. I have Joe Burrow and it's not comparable as far as just arm talent and arm strength but who is right. So I'm probably have an unfair bar for him, but did his arm look, look strong to you on, on Sunday? Cause it didn't to me, but don't you, don't you think that Burrow's a guy when he was coming out who doesn't wow you with his arm? Like when Josh no. Allen is throwing at the combine, right? That's everybody's ridiculous. blown yeah. away. Forget about it. Um, you know, I'm trying to go back to some other first round picks that, you know, just like, whoa, I don't think Joe Burrow was that way. And I don't think Tua was either. I don't think the top couple quarterbacks in this draft just wowed you with cannons out there. Correct. When you watch them at film, I do feel like Burrow is more of an accurate, like accuracy was what blew me away with Joe Burrow and the ability to put the ball, keep guys running, keep them on the move, putting balls in extremely tight windows. I mean, how many times did he have man coverage? And at the college level, you don't see this, where the guy appears covered because there's a linebacker running with him or a DB running trailing, and he just puts it right over the outstretched arms and hits him right in stride. It's a big play. Like, we saw that all last year. Right. I don't remember a throw at LSU that I was like, whoa, like that's – that's a cannon. That's a Patrick Mahomes type of arm. So from that reason, like, I don't think I was expecting to see the cannon from Joe Burrow. I just want to see the better uh, efficiency that you saw at LSU, which again, I think will come with the comfort level. Cause yeah. I don't think he had a cannon. I was not like, that's, there's a reason why usually scouts don't scout a lot of college tape, but they're at least aware of the guy with the raw abilities, the guys with the cannons, the guys with the big arms. That's why Joe Burrow, he didn't have a great year two years ago at LSU. And that's why he wasn't really talked about among draft circles. Right. Because he wasn't 6'5", you know, 260. Didn't, you know, wasn't able to run a 4'3". Didn't have a cannon. There wasn't anything really, like, special about him until you saw him with a system and these players around him where he was truly put in a position to succeed. Does that make sense? And it's not a knock. Like, no. so I, I feel good about him. But... I think you have I think he's a I think he needs a system yeah. that's going to play to his strengths. And I think he needs talent around him. And the good news is you've got some pieces around him with AJ Green and with um Tyler Boyd and some of the other uh pieces they have around him. Yeah, I don't know if he's like one of those dudes that just carry you. Like you can't put him on the field with Marquez Valdez Scantling and Alan Lazard and say, Hey, go win us a championship. Like I he's just not that guy, at least not 
yet. Maybe he'll maybe he'll develop. I mean, shoot, he's gotten so much better in the last couple of years that it wouldn't shock me. Nothing would surprise me with what Joe Burrow is able to accomplish. Uh, I'd also want to get to you quickly on some of the second year guys. Just quickly, Kyler Murray going to be a top five quarterback in the league sooner than later to me. Like that dude's a freak. Like I, I love him. I love him throwing the ball. Well, now with Deandre Hopkins and also to Danny, the guy doesn't get hit. Like he just misses, makes you miss. He had the big touchdown run to give him the lead in Sunday's game against San Francisco. Like I, he's a problem. I mean, he is a real problem in a, in a division. I think with a few good quarterbacks, including Russell Wilson, and Jimmy Garoppolo, you know who he reminds me of? And it's not a quarterback. It's a guy that I played with at Florida State who had an incredible career in the NFL. It's Warwick Warwick Dunn. Dunn. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. funny that you said it because Warwick Dunn was small. Kyler Murray's right. tiny. Like, he's, and I, I've, have you met him in person? Like, he, there's oh, yeah. no way he's 5'10. He's like 5'8 and a half, like 5'9 and a quarter. <laughs> right. He is not that tall. But when Warwick Dunn, uh, Warwick Dunn ran the football as a running back, you could never hit him in the bullseye. Like, you never get a good lick on him. He didn't take a lot of hard hits because he just had an, a knack for evading those pressures and getting away and kind of falling on his body. And I think Kyler Murray has the same thing. And his speed, which you did see at college and is similar to Lamar Jackson. No one's Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has a different gear than everybody else, but his escapability and his speed is going to make him problematic. And I still think he maybe not is not getting enough credit for his arm talent, for being yeah. able to make all the throws and having a stronger arm than people think. And now you give him some weapons with DeAndre Hopkins, who had his career high. You know, he played with Deshaun Watson. It wasn't like he was with a slouch of a quarterback. Sure. And he had 14 catches for 151. Like, that's that's impressive. I think the Cardinals might be a sneaky playoff contender when it's all Ooh, said. I like it. Yeah, I love, I love hearing that. All right, I want to get next to Drew Locke. Uh, it's so funny, Danny. I'm watching on Monday night, and I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, who does Drew Locke remind me of? You know, I'm just sitting there like, try, like brain is just buzzing the whole time. And then Tannehill comes on the field. I'm like, dude, he's freaking Tannehill. Like, you know, like even their arm motion, like a little bit sidearm, a little long to the side. Like, yeah, it's almost similar. And Tannehill gets still, I think, a bit of a bad rap for what happened in Miami. Look, bad organization, bad situation. Like, but look at him now. The guy is as efficient a quarterback. You know, is he a super elite? No, not by any stretch, but he had the sixth highest QBR uh, this weekend. He had one of the most accurate, one of the most, one of the highest graded accuracy ratings. Uh, and he was a rock, rock, rock solid 29 to 43 for 250. Like, I mean, it was, wasn't great. It wasn't anything special, but it was fine. And he made, made a couple plays with his legs too. So, but Drew Locke, I think, has some serious ups. Like, I'm a big believer in him. Uh, Noah Fant clearly found something with him, limited in the second half, but I, I think this kid's got a chance to be pretty dang good. What's your what's your impressions of Drew Locker so far? I do too. I love the way he carries himself. I think he's got the intangibles that you look for, and we saw that last year for him to step in. The only thing I would disagree on Tannehill, Tannehill's an insane athlete. I like you got to remember he played a wide receiver in college at Texas A and M, and I think he's still, I think he's still developing, and I think you've seen what you could call a late bloomer in Tannehill. Where I think Drew Locke is more, I think he's more of a true quarterback out there yeah. playing. But I do think what you need to give a lot of these guys, and it's Burrow and it's Kyler Murray, it's any quarterback, really. It doesn't matter who you are, unless you are a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or you know, a player that you can just put on your back, like you were talking about. 
Let's get Melvin Gordon going. Let's get Philip Philip Lindsay going. Let's take some of that load off of him. And it was no coincidence that if you looked at the other side of the ball, once again, Derrick Henry went over a hundred yards. You know, he had right. 16 last night. That Quietly makes, though. It never, yeah, like I, 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 I looked at like, the box score after the game. I was like, well, really? <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I didn't think he went for a hundred. Workmanlike is what it was. I mean, 31 carries, the average wasn't there, but they're committed to the run. Like, and I think that's because they realized their quarterback feeds off of that. Like if you went back there and you throw it, you know, 50 times a game and you don't run it or you throw it 55 times, they still threw it 43 times last night. The Titans did. Right. Um, I don't think that's the recipe for success. No. Um, and I, I, so but back to Drew Locke, I think he's a very natural thrower of the football. Like I think he just, it, and I think he does have a cannon. I think he has maybe one of the strongest arms in his class. When you think of the quarterbacks he came out with. So I I think this might be John Elway's find because he's taken a lot of criticism for, you know, post Peyton Manning of missing on several guys. I think this is the guy that's going to be the future for the Broncos. And even, you know, even though they came up short in a position to win, it wasn't the quarterback that was the problem. They're D, you know, they don't have Von Miller. They've got defensive issues. Cortland Sutton's out. So I think it's more about the other pieces in Denver than it is about true lock. Cause I think they found their guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, cautiously optimistic. All right, Danny. Awesome stuff, dude. So appreciate your time and, and look forward to talk. Hey, it's the best position in sports. So anytime you want to hop in and, and just talk a little ball, dive in a little deeper, we're, we're always game to hit it, man. I'm good. Anytime you want, man. Love the QBs. <laughs> I love it. Danny Cannell of ESPN U radio. And of course, formerly of dog day sports with Steve Torrey and still a contributor on so many other of our wonderful channels at SiriusXM. He also works with CBS. He, he does it all. Danny does it all. So when we come back, look, we've talked about one second-year quarterback in Kyler Murray. Oh, two, actually, if you want to take into account Drew Locke. I have another second-year quarterback that I'm giving my gold star of the week right here on Inside the Pocket. Welcome back to Inside the Pocket. I'm your host, Greg McElroy. So much still to get to, including our weekly spotlight. This week, it's on Tom Brady. His Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut did not go according to plan. Of course, Tom and Bruce Arians and that supporting cast that we've made so much, so much time to discuss. It didn't exactly showcase itself in a real positive way. Now, in fairness, let's start before we get into the breakdown. Let's start by giving a lot of credit to New Orleans because New Orleans did a lot of really good things in this plan. Their pass rush, particularly on the edges, working against Tampa's tackles, I thought collapsed to the pocket, making Brady pretty dang uncomfortable. So I want to give credit where credit is due. But I also want to make sure everyone understands this was not going to be Tom Brady in 2007 week one just wasn't like we made so much about, Oh, his debut and all this. It, it takes time to get comfortable within an offense. And there were times throughout the course of the game on Sunday in which I thought Brady did look really comfortable, really, really comfortable. There were also some other times in which he looked a little flustered. Let's start at the beginning of the game. All right. First big play, just four minutes into his debut. And he throws an absolute dime to Godwin. It was off hard play action. Godwin ran a, ran a deep corner route, setting a high angle. 
and Brady was able to fit it in over the top of the defender just before Godwin was finding the sideline. I mean, beautifully done. First throw as a Buccaneer after the defensive pass interference just a couple plays earlier. First throw. I mean, a dime, an absolute dime. You go through really the entire first drive. It's pretty dang masterful. It was Brady-esque. A little later in the drive, it's third and two. He tries to throw it to Mike Evans down the left sideline. Perfect throw. Absolutely perfect throw. Now, the defender for New Orleans grabbed Evans' right arm, so it resulted in a defensive pass interference as opposed to a big throw down the left sideline in Tom Brady's box score. So there, And there were three examples of that, by the way. Three examples of DPIs down the field that were taken out of Brady's completion percentage and big play and yards, etc. But the throws were on the money. All right. Other things to note. First touchdown as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Calls his own number. You get up to the line of scrimmage. Brady's under center. First drive. They call a run play off right tackle. Some type of stretch, some type of some type of like boss concept to the right side. But when you look at the defensive structure, there was nobody covering the left guard and the right guard. So what did Tom decide to do? He says, I'm, I'm taking it. I'm trumping the play call. I'm going to hold it myself, and I'm going to QB sneak it. What did he do? He scored. Paid the price. <laughs> he scored as there was a gigantic pile on top of him. So all things considered, Excellent start for Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform. Cool for three for three, 45 yards, and a rushing touchdown on top of it. Well, from that point forward, it didn't go quite as planned. Let's get to the interception there in the second quarter with about 11 minutes and five seconds left. Ugly, ugly, ugly throw. Bad. Predetermined. Guessed. And it was pretty dang obvious that it was a massive force. Now, what it was, it was a little bit of an RPO stretch concept where the run is supposed to be looking to the right. The run is basically going as they're in shotgun, the running back's on the left, he's crossing face of the quarterback. Well, on the left-hand side, he has Mike Evans, who's trying to break it in front of a safety on like a little bit of a post route, a little skinny post route. And on the outside, he has Godwin on a five-yard under route, five yards up and then straight towards the middle of the field. Now, in order to throw Mike Evans, the Will linebacker, who is playing underneath Mike Evans, needs to bite on that play-action fake. Well, in this particular case... The Will linebacker got depth way, way, way deep. And Brady decided to throw it anyways. As a result, ball went high. As a result, ball's intercepted. But if he just takes the check down, the under route to Godwin on the outside, you got third and two. You're living to play another down, and you're likely going to get a conversion, given the fact that at this point, Tom hadn't missed much. Instead, he tries to force it. It's picked. And his first interception as a Buccaneer is one that he would love to have back. Fast forward a little bit more into the game. Pretty dang accurate with the football. 
comes back, makes a nice throw underneath, makes another nice throw. He's six of eight at this point and has been really moving the team up and down the field. I want to fast forward now to four minutes and 24 seconds in the second quarter. It's third and 13. They are at the New Orleans Saints 31-yard line. They try to go with a screen, which on third and long, pretty standard call. See that all the time. Obvious passing situation. Let's screen him. So what they do is they try to get Gronkowski on a little middle screen. Well, the defense is not fooled. They fake to the left, they fake back to the right, and they try to hit Gronkowski right out of the middle. Well, Gronkowski's covered. Remember, New Orleans Saints 31-yard line. Brady, thinking he's Lamar Jackson, tries to run, tries to take off. Well, he got about three steps before he was sacked and dropped at the New Orleans 36-yard line, making his field goal kicker five yards worse. And it resulted in a blocked field goal. Bad, bad, bad play by a veteran quarterback. I can understand it from a rookie veteran. That's a tough one to shake off. Fast forward through the rest of the first half. Not a whole lot to take into account. Just trying to get him into a rhythm. Thought he threw the ball pretty well there in the two-minute operation, even though he had the... I didn't like the call personally. I didn't like the grounding call at the end of half, but it's not the end of the world. Let's get to the second half. Down 10, by the way. Worst throw of Brady's career, the first play of the second half, but we don't need to talk about that. I, don't, I can't explain it. So I don't know how else to describe it. They try to get some underneath passing game, continuing to get him comfortable. And then bad news. 13 minutes and 23 seconds remaining in the third quarter. To the field. All right. They're on the left hash on New Orleans' 32-yard line. Excuse me, on Tampa Bay's 32-yard line. So the minus 32. And Brady tries to throw a timing out route at six yards across the field. And it goes to the house. And he missed this throw probably by, I want to say five or six yards. I thought he was a little bit late. I thought he threw the ball way up and inside. Not good. If you're throwing an outbreaking route, it's going to the house. If you throw it inside and late. And that's exactly what happened. But I also have to give a little bit of credit for that interception to Bruce Arians. You're going to make your 43-year-old quarterback throw it 42 yards on a rope at six yards? And that's not an easy throw. That's a difficult throw for anybody. So I, I don't like the play call. And you got to know your personnel. And, and I didn't think that was a good job of assessing you know, where the quarterback was at. Moving back into the game, I thought there were some nice throws after this. For instance, the throw down the left side resulted in a defensive pass interference. They tried to hit they tried to hit Mike Evans, and I, I thought all things considered, it was it was pretty solid throw. I mean, it was on the money. Maybe slightly inside, but we're kind of splitting hairs. Mike Evans is making that catch if he doesn't get tackled. And you work into a couple plays later, Brady's first touchdown pass as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. A little boot, half roll, throw back to O.J. Howard. Really well executed. Not a guy within 10 yards of O.J. Howard. And it was an easy touchdown. Moving forward just a little bit further, this is where the defense for the Saints really started to tee off. Brady was getting balls tipped. 
He was having pressure in his lap, but he continued to hang in there and continued to throw the ball with pretty dang good velocity, given that he never really had a real clean pocket to operate with. I especially loved the play on third and one. Probably about five minutes and eight seconds left in the third quarter. Faked play action. Threw a really nice ball to Godwin over the top with a guy in his lap. I mean, vintage Brady. Just a beautiful throw. Beautiful, beautiful throw. And that's, I think, a glimpse of what we're going to see here sooner than later with this Tampa Bay offense. And there were a few other examples of times when he threw absolute dimes that didn't result in big plays for him. Look at the throw at 3 minutes and 57 seconds. 3 minutes and 57 seconds in the third quarter. And he drops an absolute dime to Miller. I mean, really, really well done. So all days considered, those were kind of the highlights and the lowlights of Tom Brady's performance. When I really look at it, though, I came away from the game on Sunday thinking, ooh. But the more I dove in, the more I feel it really wasn't that far off. Like, they're actually pretty close. Ball's a little inaccurate. Timing, not exactly there. A couple bad interceptions in which I think he predetermined. But all things considered, like, that's not the worst starting spot for a guy that is definitely going to play his best football in the coming weeks. He's still trying to get comfortable with the wide receivers. He's still trying to get comfortable with the terminology. So I am not pressing the panic button yet on Tom Brady. Uh, there was a lot of quality throws in this plan. They're just not going to show up in the box score because of a drop or because of a DPI or because of some other circumstance that is outside of his control. But all things considered, I felt good. I feel okay. Well, good's probably a bit of a stretch. I feel better about Tom Brady than I initially thought. All right, time for our weekly superlatives. Uh, I want to start by giving out the gold star superlative. The gold star superlative is basically a, a surprising performance in which you would give them a gold star. And that week's surprising performance goes to Gardner Minshew. Minshew magic. Minshew Mania. Are there any other appropriate alliterations we can do with Gardner Minshew? Not only did Gardner Minshew lead the entire NFL, the entire NFL in off target percentage, meaning he was, statistically speaking, the most accurate quarterback in the league this weekend. Shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Did anyone see a stat line? I <laughs> mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. 19 of 20. Now, not crazy yards per attempt. Only 173 yards overall. The guy didn't miss. In 0.0 off-target percentage. Most accurate quarterback in the National Football League this past week. The other thing I'd say about Gardner Minshew, he is a probably about... 25% of the way there, but he just has to win probably four more to guarantee that his team doesn't get Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback in the upcoming draft. Meaning he's about four wins away from securing a job <laughs> for, for a while. And hopefully for him, a pretty decent payday down the road. But I thought that was a gold star performance this weekend. So he gets this week's gold star award, the tighten it up award goes to a couple different guys. 
Let's start with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who for the 18th time in his illustrious career, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 140 career starts. And I thought there were some positive things to take away from this weekend. A man, he's got to quit throwing interceptions. Like, my goodness, three picks again, again. And that means for the 18th time out of his 140 career starts, he's had three or more picks. 18 out of 140. Got to quit doing that. Have to quit throwing interceptions or else it's going to be two a time in Miami sooner than later. And then the other tighten it up award, it goes to Carson Wentz. Probably unsurprisingly. Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, look, week one, you, you never know. I mean, it, you never really know what you have. You never really know what you're going up against. And for all we know, Washington might be the best team in the NFC. I, is that likely? Obviously not. But you never really know. They might have an incredible pass rush, and a lot of guys might struggle against them. I, I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is the only reason Washington won that game is because of Carson Wentz. Like, you cannot, under any circumstance, justify his performance in the second half of that football game. And if you, if you want to take it just to stretch further, you can't justify his performance really beyond the first 25 minutes of that football game. He was careless with the football. He continues to try to press the ball down the field when he doesn't need to. He just doesn't need to. I mean, just sloppy throws. Do you realize that Carson Wentz averaged 12 air yards per attempt, over 12 air yards per attempt, meaning every throw on average he made on Sunday traveled at least 12 yards downfield. That was the first in the NFL by a mile. Next closest was like 10 and change, just barely over 10. And that was Kirk Cousins. For comparison's sake, everyone's applauding Cam Newton for his performance. Cam Newton had one attempt over 12 yards. One. And he was 0 for 1. One attempt over 12 yards. And he was 0 for 1. Carson Wentz's average attempt was 12 yards. Can't happen. The guy thinks taking a check down is a sign of weakness. It's not. Take it. And quit putting your team in bad situations. He's got to learn how to win at some point, And I think he will. I have full, full faith in him. I'm hanging on him. Uh, I'm going to go down with him. I don't care. I fully believe in Carson Wentz. And I think he'll figure it out. And they're applauding his big play potential. Yeah, but sometimes your team doesn't need a big play. Like play to what your team needs, not to what you're most comfortable doing. But hey, it's early. Hopefully things get sorted out from him. My bounce back of the week award goes to Ben Roethlisberger. Now, much has been made of Roethlisberger and his elbow surgery and, and the recovery process. Man, the guy can still recognize coverage. Is he the same guy that he was 10 years ago? No. Can he just push off defensive linemen that are wrapped around his waist and still deliver the football accurately? No, he's not at that point of his career. Can't do it. Not at this point. It's okay. But when it comes to savvy and coverage recognition... He's still among the game's best players. I can think of three different examples off the top of my head from Monday night's game in which he threw perfect passes. Now, early in the game, first quarter, not ideal. Not great. A little rusty, clearly. And probably a little nervous. He admitted such in the broadcast. Look at the throw he makes to Ebron, crossing the field and one-on-one coverage against Jabril Peppers. 
Now, you look at that backside safety. That backside safety spins into the box. Spins into the box. It's man coverage. But initial look, pre-snap look, would tell you do not throw it to Eric Ebron working across the field under any circumstance. However, as the play progresses, you see those safeties rotate. Next thing you know, you got man coverage, big body, wide receiver slash tight end. We're going to get a undersized nickel slash safety. Boom. Perfect throw. couple plays later, all out pressure. Cover zero. Ben knows it. Everyone in the stadium, even though there was no one there, everyone recognized that it was all out pressure. And what did Ben do? Takes a snap very calmly, very coolly, very collectively. Drifts away from the unblocked player. So meaning he moves as he drops back, he moves just and drifts a little bit to his right to buy just a little bit more space and time to allow Juju Smith-Schuster to work. And he throws a perfect little touch pass to Juju Smith-Schuster in the front left corner of the end zone and beats the rush with ease. Wasn't even close. That was a thing of beauty. And then one other play that really stood out to me. Getting the two-minute drive started at the end of half. That's when I knew he's back. I mean, he is back. Same exact look as what we saw on the throw to Eric Ebron, where that safety rotates down, that weak side safety. So if you're looking at it from a quarterback's perspective, that safety on the right rotates into the middle of the box. Ben sees it, no problem, perfectly under control. He stares to the right side of the field sees where his receiver is at relative to the corner. The corner's way on top, not allowing the big play in a two-minute situation, trying to keep the ball in front of him. So what does Ben do? There's a perfectly executed back shoulder throw. Accurate, decisive, on the money. So he was my bounce back player of the week, given everything he went through last year. And look out, folks. The Pittsburgh Steelers are for real. All right, thanks to all of you for tuning in on the first ever edition of Inside the Pocket. So fun to be doing such a passion project here with SiriusXM. It's just awesome to be able to dive in a little deeper. You can get quarterback discussion everywhere, but going a little deeper is our task here on Inside the Pocket. From all of us, for Andrew Emmer, I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks to Danny Cannell. Thanks to all of you for being with us. And remember... You can get this podcast on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you enjoy the week two slate. We'll talk to you next week.